Well, good morning and welcome to Life Church. Everybody excited to be at church this morning? We'll get to the, the, the sermon in just a moment. I just want to say, though, that uh, make sure that you're here next Sunday. Pastor Aaron and Miss Tammy will be back. Yeah, it's been, they've been gone uh, 90 days. In fact, Pastor Aaron and I got together yesterday for the first time in, what, 87 days or something like that. We spent a few hours together, and I can tell you, man, they're charged up, ready to go, refreshed. Uh, everything that, they, that we were hoping, that this, you know, a sabbatical like that, you want it to be fruitful and productive. It has been. And so they're both going to be on stage next week, just kind of sharing more of a conversation uh, of just here's what God is speaking to our hearts. And don't worry, no big announcements or anything like that. Just simply, here's how God has moved in our lives over these last 90 days. And here's some, some vision for where we're going as a church. And I just highly recommend that you're here, a part of that. Um, it, one, it, it's just welcome, welcoming them back will be huge and to see your faces and all of that. But also just hearing what God's spoken to their hearts, I highly recommend that you mark it on your calendar, be back next Sunday. Uh, but today we're continuing a series called Misfits, and we're really looking at people in Scripture that God used in tremendous ways, despite all odds. People that on the surface you wouldn't, they, they wouldn't necessarily check a lot of boxes like, hey, that's a candidate to be used in a mighty way. And God uses those people. In fact, when you really read through Scripture, the story of the Bible all the way through, that's really who God chooses time and time again are people that are just willing. They're not always the most talented. They're just simply the most willing and the most faithful. And so today is no different. We're going to continue talking today about a man named Moses. But before we get there, uh, you know, as a kid, some of my most vivid memories as a, in, in my childhood, you can think back, you know, there's some memories that just stick out to you. Like I can remember being five years old and that happening. For me, most of those memories, not all, but a lot of them are centered somewhere around professional sports. It may be weird to some of you, but specifically, I remember meeting a, a few athletes and those, those moments for me, like I, I can remember exactly, like I can almost smell, you know, like I, 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 every part of that memory I can recall in great detail. And so uh, in 1991, I was seven years old. You can do the math. I'm almost 40. I'm not yet though. Uh, but I was, uh, the, the, my favorite team, my favorite sports team of all time still to this day is the Minnesota Twins. I'm sorry. Does somebody laugh? Is that... <laughs> We've got some claps here. There's not a big rivalry there. It's okay. It, I, I'm not going to talk about the Vikings. I'll talk about the Twins. Okay, so the Twins were like my all-time favorite team. Loved them. And in 1991, part of that was they had a lot of success when I was a little kid. And so it was like, you got to be a Twins fan. And so in 91, they're in the World Series. And it's game seven of the 91 World Series, bottom of the 10th inning. And the Twins are up to bat. I mean, the most dramatic moment you could ever imagine in professional sports is about to happen. And I found the clip on YouTube, so we're gonna look at what TV looked like 30 years ago. <laughs> Go ahead, check this out. The third. Base hit loaded, one out. Infielders are sort of halfway at second and short. Pena in a jam. The Twins are gonna win the World Series. The Twins have won it. It's a base hit. It's a one nothing 10 inning victory. 
I was talking to my brother about this because he was 11 when this happened, and he, I said, what did you, what did you feel when that happened? He's like, I literally got dizzy. I had to sit down. Like, it was like, that's how big of a moment uh, that was. And the guy who scored the winning run, some of you who are sports buffs will know this, but Dan Gladden was the guy who scored the winning run with the flowing hair. And so Dan Gladden was the guy that was on every newspaper. He was the front page. The, the whole World Series was associated with this picture of Dan Gladden stepping on home plate. And so as a seven-year-old, I equated he, he won the World Series. I mean, I, he was the reason that they won. And, you know, there was a lot of other reasons. I mean, he wasn't even their best player. He might have not even been one of their top five players at the time. But he was the one that everyone associated with winning the World Series. And so my family and I, we were just a little while after the World Series, we were out to eat at Godfather's Pizza. Did they have Godfather's Pizza around here? Do they have that? Okay, I don't know if they exist anymore. I hear there's maybe a few hanging on, but we were at a Godfather's Pizza and we're eating and somebody in our family recognizes that's Dan Gladden. He's eating at a table just, just a little ways away from us and my brother and I are just we got to get his autograph. You know, we got to do everything. We were kind of in that phase of getting people's autographs in those days. And so we got to get his autograph. And we didn't have anything to sign. And so we're like, do, does he sign a napkin? Like, what does he sign? And so my brother had the great idea. There's a sports card shop just like just down the street. And so we went down, got some Dan Gladden cards, brought them back, plopped them on the table and said, can we have your autograph? And he was very gracious. He signed them. And I found it last night here is my Dan Gladden, worth about 50 cents. But to me, that moment was such a big deal. And, and maybe you had moments like that as a kid that you can remember, that they were just instrumental moments in, in my life. They were ones that I remember vividly as a kid. Uh, and, you know, I tell you that story because I, I can tell you stories like that. I could, I could tell you about other interactions like that, but... Uh, none of those stories are ones that you've felt. You know, like, I could tell you my story, my interaction with Dan Gladden. You know, I could tell you what he looked like. I could tell you all the details. I could tell you that in 1989, he batted 295, uh, had eight home runs, 46 RBI, and 23 stolen bases, which, by the way, that's not a phenomenal stat line. But I could tell you all the details about Dan Gladden. But you'll never have that experience that I had. And so you'll forget about this story. You'll, you know, a couple days from now, you, you won't think about it ever again, but it's one that I'll carry with me my entire life. And I tell you that because so often that's how it is with the things of God. You read about interactions that people had with God. You know them, you know the information, but until you experience that for yourself, it'll never impact you the same way. It'll be head knowledge, it'll be information, but it won't be heart knowledge, it won't be experience. And I'm not trying to elevate experience over God's word because God's word comes first and foremost, but until you experience that for yourself, uh, it's never going to hit home the same way. There was a man in the Bible I just mentioned named Moses that he had regular, the Bible says, face-to-face encounters with God. He was somebody that we read about in Exodus chapter 33, towards the end of his life, it says this, it's going to be on the screen, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. 
I think that's one of the most amazing verses in all of Scripture. And if Moses was sitting across the table from me and we're, you know, having a cup of coffee together, I would want to ask him, what was that like? What was that like to have a face-to-face encounter with God? And, and not just what was that like, but also how did you get there? How did you develop this relationship that you had a face-to-face, the Bible says, relationship with God? There's a, a, a principle in um, theologians would call it the, the law of first mention, that anytime something's mentioned in the Bible for the very first time, there's usually a lot more detail behind it and there's a lot more clarity. And so uh, if you go back to the very first time that God had an interaction with Moses, there's a lot more detail. It's one that you can get a lot more insight into how did that happen? Why did that happen? What was that like? And so today we're going to look at the very first interaction that God had with Moses. If you have your Bibles, it's in Exodus chapter 3. Get there in a few minutes. But just to kind of set it up, give a little bit of context. I know many of you know the story of Moses. It's definitely, you know, one of those stories that you, that if you went to Sunday school or whatever, that you learned about as a kid. Uh, but the, the story of Moses is pretty incredible. He was a Hebrew boy. He was a Jewish boy living in Egypt. They were in captivity. The Israelites were in captivity in Egypt. And he is gone, you know, the Pharaoh puts a decree out that all of the Hebrew boys he wants to have thrown into the Nile River. He's trying to control the population. It's a very oppressive regime towards the Jews. And so Moses, his mom, when he's a baby, puts him in a basket. You know the story, put, put him in the Nile River. And then sure enough, Pharaoh's daughter stumbles upon this baby, takes him into the palace and raises him as her own child. And so Moses spends the first 40 years of his life, imagine this, a a Jewish boy being raised in Pharaoh's palace for the first 40 years of his life. And then one day the Bible says that he saw an Egyptian that was mistreating uh, the Jews, which was not an uncommon occurrence. That was something that happened all the time. But he was so filled with rage that he actually killed the Egyptian. Word got back to Pharaoh and Pharaoh wanted to have Moses now killed. And so Moses flees the palace and spends the next 40 years of his life kind of nomadic in obscurity on the outskirts of the desert as a shepherd. So those are the first 80 years of Moses' life and there's no uh, recording in scripture that he had any interaction with God. There There was no mention of that for the first 80 years. And then 80 years in, we see that there is this first interaction uh, with with, uh, God. And Moses, uh, he, he stumbles upon, you know, the story of the burning bush. That's the first interaction. He sees this bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed. He's like, that's weird. He goes over to it, and that starts talking to him. Even more weird, he's like, what is going on? And then God begins to speak to Moses through this burning bush and says, Moses, I'm going to use you to lead the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land, back into Canaan with a, a land flowing with milk, milk and honey. That's the story. Pretty incredible story. But Moses, his first response is not man of great faith. Yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. It's, it's not that. Moses begins to give God a bunch of excuses for why he's not qualified. You know, this series misfits. He, why he's a misfit. Why, no, surely uh, somebody's got to do that. I agree, God, but I'm not the guy for the job, and he gives several excuses. He, he asks three questions and gives one statement. He has four excuses for God that he says, this is the reason why I am not qualified. And I think these are the same reasons and excuses that so often 
many people never see the power of God in their life because they never get past these excuses. They never get past these questions. The first question he asks, if you're taking notes, is who am I? Who am I? Lord, like, I've been, the last 40 years, I've been a shepherd in the wilderness. Like, who, why would you use me for this? See, self-doubt is one of the greatest tools of the enemy to destroy intimacy between you and God, to, to completely put a wedge in your relationship with God. You're not worthy. You're not good enough. Look at how much you've messed up. And in Moses' case, it probably went something like this. Remember 40 years ago when you killed that Egyptian? Like, you're, you're never going to be qualified to do anything great for God. We read about it, Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 11. It says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God's response is an interesting response. He said, but I will be with you. Notice God's response. He doesn't say, Moses, you can do it. You got this. You're the man for the job. I've equipped you for this. He doesn't do all of that at first. He simply just says, I'll be with you. He just assures Moses, I, maybe you, in fact, he almost reinforces the fact that, yeah, maybe you aren't qualified. It's probably a good chance of that, Moses, but guess what? I will be with you. Remember uh, a few years ago, it was six years ago, we were in Arizona for my nephew was graduating high school, and so we all, all the family was down there, and we rented a house just everybody together and had it, the house had a pool of course every you know house has a pool in Arizona thank God for that and there's a diving board on the pool which is a big deal to all the kids because so they're just every day jumping off the diving board and all that but Eli at the time was three years old and he was a little intimidated by the diving board he really wanted to do it but he was like ah, I don't know and so he had this even with a big flotation device on I'm like there's a zero percent chance anything's gonna go wrong here you like your feet will barely touch the water with what you got on you right now and so uh, he finally gets up the courage he goes over to the diving board he gets to the end of it and he's going he's gonna jump and he just freezes up you can see that look on this face it's like this nervous smile where i'm like okay he's he's very scared about this right now and so everybody in the pool began to encourage him eli you can do it you got this it's okay you know everything will be all right he's not jumping i i swim over and i'm i get right below where he would jump in and say eli i'll be right here i'll make sure nothing happens everything will be all good and he won't jump and so I get out of the pool, I come over, I go to the ed edge of the diving board with him, and I said, if I jump in with you, will you do it? And sure enough, he's like, yeah. So he grabbed hands, jumped in, had the time of his life, did it a bunch more times after that, you know, that whole deal. Uh, but he didn't need me in that moment to tell him, you can do it. You're, you, uh, you got this, don't worry about it, don't be scared. All he needed was, I just need somebody to do it with me. That's the same relationship that God has with us. He says, I'm not going to try to pump you up right now. I'm not going to tell you how worthy you are. I'm just going to tell you I'll be with you through it. Because guess what? We're not worthy. Moses was not worthy. Moses had not done anything to earn God's favor. But God says that that's not what it's about. It's about my closeness to you, not how much worthy, how worthy you are. Titus chapter 3 Verses four and five says it this way, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. That's the entire message of the gospel. It's not by anything that we've done to earn God's favor, to earn God's grace. 
to earn any of that with God. He simply says, uh, it's because of my mercy. It's because of what I've done. It's because I am with you. Moses' first question is, who am I? God gives a pretty good answer there. He says, I'll, I'll be with you. But Moses doesn't stop right there. You know, I, I would love to think that Moses would say, okay, that's all I needed here. I'm good. But he asks a second question. And he says, maybe, maybe even one that I would have asked first. He asks second. He says, who are you? Who are you? Like, who, what is this whole deal? Like, what, and, and even though he's already described who he is to him, he's like, who are you? We often see Moses as this great man of faith, and he was in the end, at the end of his life. But right here, you have to imagine, I mean, Moses has not had a single interaction with God in 80 years. He's been the last 40 years wandering in the desert as a shepherd. And then out of the, this burning bush experience, God is speaking to him, saying, I'm going to you know, use you to lead the Israelites out. And he's like, who are you? We read about the interaction in Exodus 3, starting in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. <laughs> and he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, if I'm in Moses' shoes, I'm kind of like, okay, what does that even mean? I am who I am. But we get context through other scripture throughout, throughout the entire Bible that that was an oftentimes the way God answered that question. Who am I? He would just simply say, I am. And the point of that was simply, I am everything that you need me to be. If you, if you need a defender, I am. If you need a savior, I am. If you need a forgiver, I am. If you need a provider, I am. If you need a redeemer, I am. If you need a counselor, I am. I will be everything that you need me to be. I am all of that and so much more. I don't need to try to quantify exactly who I am. Just tell them, I am sent you. See, the question is, do we believe that? Do we really believe that God is all-sufficient for every single thing that we will ever come in contact with? That in every scenario, in every need, that in, in every part of our life, that God is absolutely what we need in that moment? Do we believe that? Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, Jeremiah describes God this way. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. See, I think in order for God to have encounters with us, in, in order for us to have face-to-face -face encounters with God, we're going to have to understand that God is everything that we need. That we're going to have to stop wondering like, ah, maybe he, he's, is he, is he going to meet my needs? Is he not? Is he really there? Is he... I am. I'm everything that you need me to be. He asks God, who am I? Who are you? He doesn't stop there. He keeps asking questions. God keeps answering his questions and he keeps asking more. He says, what will they say? What will they say? See, we often get concerned about what other people will think. In fact, I think it's one of the, the biggest reasons why people don't encounter God in a face-to-face -face relationship like Moses had is because you're concerned about what other people will say. We see, read about it in Exodus 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. 
this one is played out often in people's lives. They get really concerned about what other people will think. If I'm just to be perfectly honest, there are many times in my life where I get caught up on this one, especially when it comes to answering the question, what do you do for a living? <laughs> because I, uh, I'm always skeptical of, is that going to change the relationship? I mean, I've been, I've been with people before. I've been like golfing with people and then they ask, what do you do for a living? I tell them and then they just like don't talk to me the rest of the round. Like I, I've literally, or like they were swearing like crazy and then they just oh I better stop you know it just it it creates an awkward moment I wonder that sometimes for my kids like uh, it's funny I I I don't answer that question very I don't get that question very often but more people already know like a lot of times they already know what I do for a living before I even tell them like the whole neighborhood knows but I've not told you know or whatever so I get very like self-conscious about that not because I'm a, a embarrassed or ashamed or anything like that but I don't want the relationship to change because of those dynamics I don't want my kids to be put in an unfair position because well that's the you know pastor's kid or whatever so I spent a lot of time mentally kind of doing and gymnastics about what are other people going to think about that? Moses has the same concern. I'm going to tell all these people that there was a burning bush and, G- and God spoke to me through that burning bush and told me you're the, like, they're not going to believe me. See, I think we often care more about what others think than what God thinks. There's a, there's a verse in John chapter 12 that, starting in verse 42, that is one of the saddest portions of scripture. It says, yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, talking about Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Just a tragic verse. These are people who are walking the face of the earth with Jesus. He's there and they're embarrassed, they're ashamed, they're afraid to admit uh, that they, that, that to openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. They loved human praise more than praise from God. For many of us today, that might be the one thing preventing us from really experiencing this face-to-face, this, this genuine encounter with God is we're ashamed, we're, we're, not, we're afraid, we're embarrassed, we're unsure. What, what were other people going to say about me? Uh, uh, you know, at Life Church, we try to put you in a position, we try to create uh, experiences, we try to create moments for you to uh, hopefully not have those inhibitions, those, those worries, those fears. Like even like during worship, that, like one of the things we even, you know, lower the lights a little bit, just trying to put away any distraction because in that moment, we know that one moment with Jesus can change everything in your life. The Bible says that as we draw near to God, he draws near to us. In other words, we make that first step, that we take that first step towards God and then God is right there to meet us. But so often we get, afraid or we get concerned about what other people will think. Moses was no different. So he gives these three questions to God. God answers his questions and then he gets to the the last one. And this really is at the heart of it. This is the one that I think Moses has been leading up to because really at the heart of it, maybe he's less concerned about all these other things. Who am I? Who are you? He says this, I have never. I have never. He begins to tell God how unqualified he is. I've never done anything like this. Have you ever done this with God? 
where you just simply tell him, I'm not qualified for this. We read about it in Exodus 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. See, your list of reasons for how unqualified you are to do something great for God is often the exact thing that God uses to do something for him. We continue reading. It says, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go. I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. In other words, he's saying, Moses, I... (laughs) I created you. Like, you're telling me that you're not eloquent of speech. Like, I know that about you, but guess what? I created you. I can change all that. I can give you the words to speak. You just need to rely upon me. That's an area, this this passage right here, Exodus 4 verse 10, is one that I can relate to maybe more than any other verse in Scripture because I remember distinctly when I felt like God was calling me into full-time ministry, be a pastor, I remember telling my parents and they, they were a little surprised by it because I was like, and still to this day am, but I've hopefully learned to get over it a little bit. I'm like the shyest person you've ever met. I am the most introverted individual. I was the wallflower as a kid. I was the one who didn't want to be seen. I want to just be in the background. I, uh, I, I enjoyed math. That was my favorite subject in school. I'm like, I don't know how that, you know, computes with being a pastor. And I was terrified to speak in public. I remember taking a class in college that every, anyone who was going into ministry had to take a public speaking class. And I remember as a freshman in college, I couldn't even get, like, couldn't even speak in front of people without absolute chaos happening. Like, I got this dry mouth thing going on, could hardly breathe. I mean, it was like, this guy's having a moment here. Like, what is going on? And I remember being very frustrated, like, why would you call me to do this? Like, why on earth are you putting me through this? And I can't, de- I can't describe it to you other than this. God supernaturally, like, quickly took away that fear to the point where, and I'm not, I don't say this um, in an arrogant way, but I haven't felt nervous speaking to people since college, like in, in this setting. And it, it, like, completely took it away. As if God's saying, reminding me, just as he reminded Moses, I made you, I know this about you, don't worry about it. I got this figured out. Why does God do that? Because God rewards faith. If, if, if you were somebody who had it all figured out and man, I, man that's, that's great, that's my skill set, everything, I, I got this all down, why would you need faith? In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith is required to do anything great for God. A prerequisite for encountering God is having faith. And God is reminding Moses, just lean on me. Quit trying to have it all figured out. Quit trying to have everything figured out and just rely upon me. Not only will I be with you, he tells Moses at the beginning of the conversation, not only will I be with you, I'm going to help you. And we see the rest of the story. He gives he gives Moses Aaron to be the voice piece. He gives Moses Jethro, his father-in-law, to help with all the logistics. He, he get, Moses had a ton of help, and God supernaturally provided that for him and said, I am going to help you. Don't worry about it. I'm just looking for somebody that has faith. I'm looking for somebody who really wants to not only be used by me, but puts their trust in me 
and, and lets me handle all the details. I have never has never been an excuse to not obey God. I have never is always a perfect reason to obey God and say that's, that's a perfect candidate to be used by him. See, Moses, his first interaction with God was, could definitely be labeled as skeptical. It wasn't the most faith-filled encounter. But clearly, Moses learned along the way to trust God more because if you go to the very end of Moses' life, uh, we read actually after he died, this is what was written about him in Deuteronomy chapter 34. It's going to be on the screen. And this summarizes who Moses was. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. All of that started with one encounter. All of that started with one moment. In fact, when you read through scripture, time and time again, you see that there's this one moment that somebody has with God. This one moment, you look at the woman at the well, the one moment she had with Jesus, the one interaction, she wasn't planning on it that day, but the one interaction completely changed the trajectory of her life. And that's, that's what we believe here at Life Church. that, man, we need those moments with God. Some, some of you have maybe never had that moment. You've not had that encounter with God before. You're, you're like, yeah, I've, I, I, I know a little, I've read the Bible, I, I grew up in church, I, I know a little bit, but I've not really for myself had that encounter. And there's others of you that have been a Christ follower a long time and you've had many moments with God. I, I could point to several very critical moments in my life where God spoke something to me that will get you through like the next five years. You know, like it's, man, God spoke in a very clear way. We need those encounters we need those regular encounters. It didn't just stop with Moses with that first encounter. He had many face-to-face encounters with God. And the question for us is, will we put ourselves in position to have one of those moments with God? When's the last time you just took time out of your schedule and just maybe it's just turned on some worship music and just had privacy, just you and God and simply say, God, I need you to show up. I need you to speak because I, I, I don't know what to do right now. I need a moment with you. We're going to give you an opportunity in just a moment. Just remain where you are, but we're going to sing a song that we just sang um, earlier in the service. And the lyrics say, I'm not enough unless you come. Will you be with me today? Will you be with me, Lord Jesus? That we're not enough on our own. That we simply say, God, I, I, I am so inefficient, so inadequate, I, mean, I can't tell you how often, like as a, a father, as a husband, those, those, things, those thoughts go through your head. And, and God, I think, would say, yeah, you're not. But I am. Let me help you. Let me be with you. One moment with God, one encounter with God can absolutely change everything. And so as we play and sing the song, I'm just simply going to ask, would you just simply just take a moment right where you are? Maybe it's just it just means that you just want to worship. Maybe you just need to listen to the lyrics of this song and just let them kind of pour over your heart. Maybe it's just simply just spending a time in prayer and just saying, God, I need your presence. Maybe you're walking through a very difficult circumstance right now and you just, man, I, God, I don't know what to do. I need you to show up. I'm willing. I'm here. I have a posture that's saying, God, I, I believe in you. I have faith in you. I just, I need you to show up. I need an encounter with you. 
God, we thank you today for your presence. Your word says that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, meaning the, the same God who spoke to Moses thousands of years ago through a burning bush is the same God who can speak to us today. And so God, I just pray right now that your presence would be with us. I pray that you would speak just as you spoke to Moses, that you would speak to our hearts today. There may be a, a, a couple in the room who's walking through marriage difficulties and they need you to just speak fresh wind, that, that just fresh bread into their life. There's somebody who just maybe got a, a bad diagnosis at the doctor who just needs your comfort and your peace that passes all understanding. I pray that you'd speak that today. God, I pray that your presence not only would fill this room, but we would allow it to fill our hearts today and that, that you would speak to us, that that same face-to-face -face encounter that Moses had, that, that we can have that kind of encounter with you today. We thank you for it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.